Well, hello and welcome to a very special episode of Business Casual. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. The Market Scale offices are actually closed today for the holiday weekend, so we're running a special interview that we conducted on Market Scale Mornings yesterday with Kirk Williams, the Managing Director of Cypress Equities, and Jeff McGuire, their Director of Design. And we talked to them about the current state of commercial real estate and how knowing the heart and soul of a city where you're building is going to make a huge difference and also the impact that art can have in those projects. And so that is coming up on the show. But before we get to all of that, MarketScale's digital editor, Jeff Short, has the shortlist for this week. Hi, everybody. I'm Jeffrey Short, and this is the shortlist for Friday, August 30th. Netflix may be losing Toy Story to Disney's new streaming service, and now they could be losing market share to a toy company. Hasbro recently announced it has acquired Entertainment One, a mass media and entertainment company that owns properties like popular children's TV show Peppa Pig. Yahoo Finance Editor-at-Large Brian Sazi spoke to Hasbro CEO Brian Goldner. Here's what Sazi learned about the toy maker's strategy. I think in a perfect world for him, you have a property or an upcoming property like Ricky Zoom from Entertainment One. You get out there, you drive a lot of that content, people buy that content, they download the content, and you make a lot of toys, and you make a lot of money, and it's that simple. Hasbro paid $4 billion for the acquisition. For $3,500, businesses can purchase the new Microsoft HoloLens 2 starting next month. This news was announced by company executive vice president Harry Schum on Thursday. So who is the device designed for? Here's what Microsoft technical fellow Alex Kitman told The Verge back when the product was revealed for the first time. People that have been, in a sense, neglected or haven't had access to technology because, you know, PCs, tablets, phones don't really lend themselves to those experiences. And in the world that we live today, where technology is pervasive and ubiquitous uh, in our environment, you know, devices like HoloLens um, empower you to have access to that. While the specific release date has not been announced, the device is available for pre-order today. That's what's happening in the world of B2B today. I'm MarketScale Digital Editor Jeffrey Short. Thanks to Jeff for those stories there on the short list. Coming up next, we do have our interview with Kirk Williams and Jeff McGuire of Cypress Equities. And we're going to be talking about the current state of commercial real estate and knowing the heart and soul of a city, knowing the location, asking the right questions, and really kind of diving deeper than just the surface level can make a huge difference when it comes to commercial real estate. So that's really the heart and soul of this interview. That's where we're going to go with it. But there's so, so much more to unpack there. So here is our interview with Kirk Williams and Jeff McGuire of Cypress Equities. Okay, you've heard enough from us. Yes. It's time to turn it over to the true heroes of the show Let's today. Let's do it. It's going to be Kirk Williams and Jeff McGuire from Cypress Equities. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you thank for you. having us. Absolutely. So Cypress Equities is a premier developer, operator, and manager of retail, residential, and mixed-use properties in the United States. <laughs> just to give everybody that's that's watching kind of a, an overview of what you do, just start off there. Let's just uh, kind of give everyone a broad overview of, yeah. of what you do there at Cypress Equities. Well... I was talking to some people last week and they asked me for my bio. And so the bio that I gave was, I know very little about a whole lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, that really sums it up. But very really, horizontal view. Very, very, yeah. you know, a mile wide and an inch deep. <laughs> sure. but, but honestly, what we come to a property is be able to coordinate all sorts of, of different disciplines to bring them together to an artful conclusion. Mm-hmm. And with that is that we got to balance architecture, engineering, 
the market demands the tenants, the, the tenants of what they want, how they want it, and what capacity, and what they'll pay in rent, along with what the capital will pay for, because the capital's got to put it all together, and then you got to have the construction. The construction team's got to deliver it, and they, they got to take the, the A&E, the, the architecture and the engineering, along with what the tenants will pay for, and they got to build that. And so what we do is we stand in the middle, and we work off this, these iterative disciplines that come in to bring it to where everything balances, and then we say, okay, we've got plans, we've got tenants, we've got a construction, and we've got capital. Let's go build it. And that's, that's essentially, in a nutshell, what we do. So, Kirk, you're the managing director, and Jeff, you're the director of design. And so I'm guessing that um, this isn't a one-size-fits-all approach for the different areas of the country where you operate in. So what sets uh, maybe a project in Flagstaff, Arizona, apart from a project that might happen in Milwaukee, for instance? Uh, from a design perspective, how do you differentiate between the two to make sure that you are kind of connecting with that local community? Yeah, that's a good question. It's, it's a challenge that, that we have, and mm -hmm. it's different every day. Um, it, I keep saying it comes from the, the soul and the, the community, and so we need to look at the community and what their needs are. Um, something that I keep saying to people around, uh, you know, what we do and what I try to do is, is it's not the big box mentality. It's, it's reaching out to the community, understanding what their needs are as best we can. <laughs> and, and for instance, well, Kirk, you can tell the story about going to Flagstaff on vacation to figure out what that means to, to be part of the community as opposed to going there for work and, right. and just on a business trip figuring out what you can figure out in the two days that you're there versus spending time with the community, who goes where, what, what people do, what they eat, what, what their lives are. Yeah, we like to call it seeing how the, the community works when we're not working. <laughs> because when we're working, sure. when we go there, we're looking through it at different eyes. Yeah. When we drop the pretense of work and we go in there, we just become a consumer. Right. Mm -hmm. then, then all of a sudden you see things different. And the interesting thing about retail, because by the way, one of the things I didn't say is we specialize in retail first developments. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the first card we play. Yeah. Because we want to get that communal space right that brings in the retail, where people are coming together, yeah. gathering, and how they're transacting, not just in a, in a commercial way, but how they're transacting in a communal way. Hmm. How that sociology comes together in that common area. We want to get that right. So if we're going in there with business on mind, I'm thinking capital, I'm thinking construction, and I may be missing the most obvious component, and that's how those people like to live. And they're going to live different in Milwaukee in the, versus Flagstaff versus Fort Worth, Texas. Sure. Those are very different, particularly in January. <laughs> it, right. it, 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 those communities have different ways of how they behave in different seasons. Because right. right now, we're, you know, we, well, we got pretty decent weather here. But, I mean, it, but you know, it was 104 on, on Monday. Yeah. Well, in Milwaukee, it was 74. Yeah. And so you know, how they behave in the summer versus the winter, and you've got to get yourself in there and immerse yourself into it. You're not selling a whole lot of snowblowers or something like that in Flagstaff, <laughs> right? Like well, a, no, actually Flagstaff. You, oh, you surprisingly believe, snowy. So, yeah. And All that's right. just it. Yeah, because you go in the, in Arizona, there's not snow that in Arizona. That proves your point. I need to go to you know to exactly go to what's going to be there. It, it, you, it, exactly right. And go there and spend time there and mm -hmm. listen. I think the, the, the most interesting aspect is that we don't, 
we don't hear because we we people aren't telling us. We don't hear because we're not asking questions and we're not listening. And that, that's where so we really have to spend time in the market and ask good questions and be quiet and listen because it'll, it'll speak to us. Interesting. Now there's a, I feel like when you're building retail developments, I think a big part of what ties into how people shop is how people uh, transport themselves too. So looking at the community and seeing, okay, is this a community of people that they all own their own car? Or is this a taxi community? Is this an Uber heavy community? Is there a busing system? Is there a you know a dart in our backyard? Um, how do y'all use differences in transportation to influence how you build uh, your retail spaces? Great question. You want to take a stab at it? Well, I mean, it's different everywhere, yeah. and, and and like I said, you know, you go to Flagstaff and. We've got these <clears throat> assets that have a lot of parking, mm -hmm. and and that's what we're trying to study in each location. Is is what are the parking needs? A lot mm -hmm. of the the retailers are reducing their parking and providing more space in the parking lot, which we've <clears throat> we're starting to develop. So there are the Uber um, needs right. that 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 we're figuring out. Um, each each jurisdiction has their parking requirements, right. and those are changing. But also, it's fascinating. So, what is the intent of the development? Because look, we we grew up out of the the developmental needs of tenants that were represented by Staubach Retail. That's mm -hmm. how we came about back in the the, the mid '90s. Mm -hmm. Is that we grew up out of those needs, and we went to you know, uh, uh, build the suits to power centers, and power centers are just a collection of discount retailers. Yeah. It would be where you have your Walmart and your Ross and your TJ Maxx and your 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 Marshalls. Right. Mm -hmm. And now there, you know, you really don't have a lot of people Uber in there, right? right? right. It, it's not, so there, you better hit the parking ratios that not only the city's telling you, but also the retailers are telling you. Mm -hmm. Now the retailers are balancing that too because you know building parking gets expensive. So mm -hmm. you want to right size it. So you also got to say, okay, how are they working now? But if it's a discount power center, yeah, you're going to build more parking. Right. If it's a food and beverage entertainment district mm -hmm. where more people are showing up at night, mm -hmm. well, they're going to be Ubering, hopefully. Mm -hmm. If they're going to be right. drinking, you're hoping right. they're Ubering. Right. Or if there's Uber, don't do <laughs> Thank you. And yeah. that, that's exactly right. And so you, you also, when you start bringing in other uses, what was the word you used? Uh, uh, resumercial? Resumercial, yeah. Never heard it. <laughs> really? I learned something. Today. I love it. How about that? But no, but if you have these mixed-use environments, you can share parking. Mm. Is it because we have what's called counter-cyclical parking where the office uses the parking primarily during the day, mm. and then at night it shifts over to the, the, the F&B, the food and beverage right. component, and so they have a parking ratio that's shared. And yeah. so you don't have to build as much parking and the, knowing that the people will be Ubering at night or lifting or right. ride sharing. I think it's also important to think of how people will first like perceive and be exposed to that outlet as well. You know, is it a walking heavy community Ooh. so that you need to be catching people's eyes as they're strolling downtown? Or is it you need to be able to catch people's eyes as they're riding the public transit, you know, and as it goes over this bridge, and you see, okay, wow, hey, look at that great design over there. When I get off my next stop, I want to go check out what that is. Does that influence your decision making when you choose where and how to build your projects? 
I'm, I'm going to say abso yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Because here, here there's a couple of things is that architecture doesn't attract people. People attract people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, architecture will, will catch your eye. But if it's cool architecture, but nobody's there, it's kind of like, ah, it's a museum, I'll right, go in right. maybe yeah. later. But if you see people gathered and people are having fun gathered, you, that really resonates because we mm. want to be included. We have that FOMO hit that yeah. we say, okay, I want to be part of mm -hmm. that. Now, what, what we look at, what we used to do is we had these, these kind of you know, suburban, retail centers they had these big sea of parking around them and and what that would would not it almost disinvite mm. collecting people because sure. it was more auto-centric so what you're saying is very important is what catches your eye what brings that communal spirit you know from the very get-go of how people say i want to be there and then other people can see other people right. and they can begin to gather and commune jeff how does art play a role in that um, it's it's a big part, I think, and I, again, I'm trying to infuse it. It's something relatively new that that we're taking on, but it's definitely a, a big part of it. Mm -hmm. um, it. Again, I think we had the conversation earlier about um, attracting people and 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 how how what we, we do is an experiential ex exercise right. versus mm -hmm. what you can get online, and so art is one of those things that that you can see online, but to engage you and, and make it a different experience, that you want to be there. Right. Again, my challenge is the internet for the most part. <laughs> right. You know, what, what you can't get there because it's retail architecture. Right. So we're creating more experiences and in, 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 in infusing art in any way we can. I've got all sorts of ideas that I've, I'm still trying to, to bring to fruition that really physically with art, mm -hmm make you move through the space right. to get you to the front door, to get you into a passageway that, that you don't know exists otherwise. So really, really interesting stuff that I'm excited about, which yeah. is all art. Yeah. 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 yeah, Jeff and I started working together five years ago on a project up at Walnut Hill in Central in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And it was the, the, the product there was a 1979 built kind of brutal no, it just it was it was, it was trying to be <laughs> yeah. mixed use, but it, it, like I said, it was built in 1979 and nothing had been done with it since. Blocky and inefficient. And, it, yeah. it was very inefficient. And so what what uh, Jeff brought in was this idea of how to do an organic repair by changing the facades, changing the groundscape, and bringing art as a component to mm -hmm. do exactly what he's talking about is, is not luring the, the customer through, but, but really ingratiating the customer into this, this kind of dynamic experience mm -hmm. where they want to experience every facade, every aspect of the property and walk through. And art became a, an incredibly valuable piece of that. Now. Having not done it before, I, I gotta I gotta confess. I was like, okay, this sounds expensive. <laughs> and, yeah. And where is the ROI in all of this? I hope this hippie art stuff really pays Yeah, right. exactly right. And, and guess I what? I see where you're going. And guess what? It does. Yeah. It does. Now, can you put it on a balance sheet? You know, financial statements right at the start. Mm -hmm. And the answer is no. But I tell you what, you can see the effect, and we're seeing the effect. It, all you have to do is go up there and see it and walk it and see the art and see the beauty yeah. of it and the integration between art, 
and bricks and mortar and people. And it's a really cool balance. It really is. I, um, you know, I'm thinking about what you said about having the art and the layout of your, um, your store, your, your uh, retail establishment, whatever, kind of guide you literally through the store in a way that feels natural and isn't just arrow this way, you know, is, mm -hmm. isn't Ikea style. It's mm -hmm. like, right. just feels natural. Right. Um, and it, it brings me back to, um, I was in Barcelona for uh, like three months studying abroad back in my college days. And I just remember walking through the Gothic district and when those uh, alleyways have like, you know, they have commercial um, small stores, larger stores, just kind of surrounding you as you walk. But the way that the path was created, I don't know if this was intentional, but it kind of forced you to like stay on the path mm. and to follow it. And it mm -hmm. felt like exciting, like, oh, I, you kind of lose track of time. You enjoy yourself just kind of perusing this almost endless alleyway of Gothic architecture and, and retail and small stores. And I feel like that's what now in this experience economy, people are trying to recreate because I don't know if that, like, I don't know if, if 13th century Spanish architects were thinking, how do we bring the experience into people perusing our downtown? But now that's at the forefront of everyone's decision-making process. So it's like recreating that natural aesthetic of being guided through a communal area. But yeah, like recreating it in a way that, I don't know, feels like lab tested and certified and still feels authentic. I don't know, it must be a, a difficult balance. I, I, I don't know if it's di it's difficult. It's, mm. it, it, to me, it's a challenge and it's exciting. Right. Because each environment is different. Uh, again, referencing the Flagstaff project, um, it, it, we're taking the backside of a shop, shopping mall and, and creating this experience, but we're having to bring people through the mall, mm -hmm. and so it's it's what we're doing to attract them on one side, mm -hmm. and then the experience as you go through that mall to get them there, but to also feed to the the mall itself, mm -hmm. so that we're not forgetting about the mall in and of itself. But each each environment is different, and and I'm excited about the next ones that we're going to create because it's going to be different. But the the same um, theories and strategies yeah. I think will will apply. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I, I think, Daniel, you, you said we're the architects back in 13th century Barcelona mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, how to, you know, entice the consumer to right. walk through and, yeah. you know, part them with their money. <laughs> right, well, right. You know, I, I honestly think that the, the, the 13th century architects were thinking about people. Yes. Mm -hmm. They were thinking about buildings and people. And somewhere we lost our soul in, in the, the, the middle of last century. Yeah. yeah. And we lost our soul and we went. It was consumerism. Yeah, it was consumerism and money. And somewhere, and, and I think technology interestingly pushed us to where we said, whoa, I need to get back to people. Right. I need to get back to communal spaces. I need to get back to where I can shut it down and be with others. Yeah. And, and I think that's where so much of what we've learned and so much of what I'm continuing to learn from millennials is that what is important, what's authentic, what's real, and what's not. And so what we're trying to do, and I love how Jeff said this, we're trying to give something that's not on the Internet. And, mm -hmm. and, and we're trying to bring that about in a very authentic, vibrant, communal way where people say, yeah, I want to be there. Yeah. And then they'll decide whether I want to shop, whether I want to dine, whether I want to drink. Then they'll decide that. Or they may sit in there, have a shop and dine, and order something from the internet. Have mm -hmm. at it. Mm -hmm. We just want them to be at our space. Right. 
How much, you mentioned kind of what you're learning from millennials and, and what you're learning from maybe younger generations. How much are you keeping track of trends in retail and in food and <laughs> beverage to understand what's popular now and maybe what's not? Like a few years ago, you probably weren't building a bunch of blockbuster videos or something like that, you know? So how, how we much- We did build some <laughs> blockbuster videos, you forgive us, but yeah. <laughs> but y- y- you know what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah. so you're, you're, keeping a, you're keeping an eye on Okay, what's popular? What's what's trendy? What's new? And what's what are people gravitating towards these days? Yeah, it, it's that's an that's where the artful process is. Now, there's a lot of data. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a lot of information. Um, you know, most of the time we we, we have a saying that, that well, not most of the time we do have a saying all the time. The market always wins. Mm-hmm. So we need to be listening to what the market's trying to tell us. Now, it may be telling us something what different in Portland, Oregon versus Milwaukee, Wisconsin, versus Dallas, Texas, or versus Flagstaff, Arizona. Mm-hmm. The market's gonna be, but there are also some common trends that are taking place that we're paying attention to. We have, um, we have relationships with different retailers that we, we are with all the time, and sure. we listen to, to, you know, one of them that uh, I think the world of is uh, Lifetime Fitness. Mm-hmm. The, the, those guys really get it, and I, I'm fascinated to hear hmm. what they have to say, what they're doing next, and what how they're bringing in, not just the fitness brand, but they're bringing in co-working, they're bringing in co-living, they're bringing right. in some elements that you go, wait, they're not just about active lifestyle with regards to their product. They're also bringing in some other elements and listening to how they're doing it and listening to how that applies to different parts of the market. Also looking at at different local brands as they emerge. Mm -hmm. And then talking to the people who represent them across the country. Now granted, we're we're constantly searching for who's got the the best new thing, but you gotta be careful with the next greatest thing too. Right. You know, is, is it fat or is it fashion? And we've got to figure out the distinction between it. That's a great point. Uh, have y'all, in your uh, urban designs, had to balance um, the way the design might appeal to larger chain companies versus building a space that might be open to and growing with a small business? I guess, like, how do you balance attracting spaces that might bring in community-focused businesses to help grow that community instead of just bring in chains? Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Great question. Great question. No, this is really, this is the heart of what we call, how do you balance local retailers Uh and regional retailers versus national retailers? You know, how do you balance that? Because right. really, if you're after that collective soul of the community, and you instill these big national brands, right. that people who work there, it's kind of, you know, oftentimes just a gig. And, right. and so, how do you how do you create that ethos at the property level? Right. And really, through the the food and beverage component, you're best served by going local. Mm. Because that that's where you really get that collective piece, but also the the and, and that's where we kind of start and we listen to what's going on. Who are the F and B operators within the community? Who are the guys that are doing it really really well? Who are the gals that are really taking that next step to ingratiate? So that's what what Jeff and I when we go to Flagstaff mm-hmm. when we we kind of took some time off and we kind of looked at what are they doing here locally. 
and and versus uh, we've got a beer tap there and you know one of the things we we're thinking about was going major brands on the beer and we got into the flag set uh-uh no no no, no. you <laughs> better be stay a failure yeah, yeah, that would be a, yeah. a failure right on the shoot so we had to go with the local because it's a very beer centric town and they really get it so we had to kind of lean in that direction. Wow. So, it, and by the way, it is an exchange too, because with the national brands, you typically get a little bit more credit. Right. And the capital likes the credit of that. With the, the, the mom and pops and the local, it, it, you got to challenge yourself because you're not getting right. quite the credit. So, well, and there's, there's the brand recognition too. You think, okay, if I build a, a space that's got Chick-fil-A, Chipotle, In-N-Out, this and that. I mean, like, everyone knows what those are. People like those. It's sure to bring business to some capacity, right? So it's more of a gamble to go small business, but it might keep the soul of that community there better. So it's, yeah, depends. It's a tough it, balance. It depends on what your end game is, right? Right, right. If your end game is to do what we call a power center, mm -hmm. then you got a Walmart. Marshalls. And you mm -hmm. got a Walmart, TJ Maxx, Ross, and Marshalls. Mm -hmm. You can do your Chick-fil-A and your your you know, your your IHOP, IHOP and, out yeah, front and yeah. because that's already in that that's what that represents. Right. But if you're trying to go more qualitative in regards to the design elements, then you got to take some risk on who you put in there. Interesting. Do you ever during that process reach out to local entrepreneurs and small businesses that already exist to try to come up with partnerships ahead of time, saying we're going to build this, we'd love to have your small business move over here, expand over here. Is it ever that um, preemptive or is it a little more reactive? Well, I mean, I, I keep going mm -hmm. to, to, to examples mm -hmm. uh, of, mm -hmm. of projects of the, that we're working on because that's the easiest for me. Yes, to, no, I mean, to, anecdotal work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there, there are opportunities that we're working on that do exactly that. And, and we're, we're kind of new in the market to do this for our team. Um, but we've, for an exa example, we went to the market and learned that it was, for the most part, local. It was F&B, food and beverage. Mm -hmm. And because of that stability and that credibility of national brands, we got one national tenant in there. Well, within the year that they opened, the one tenant that is out of business is the national brand because oh, the wow. people, the, the locals come in, they see these local businesses, the, the logos, the food offerings, and that's what they want. They want something new, something different. They can go across the street and get any national brand at any of these power centers, but sure. in this case, and it's gonna be gobbled up by a local guy. Wow, it's fascinating. Well, and, and on our part, guys, you know, the, the best laid plans don't go quite <laughs> right. as intended. Right. I've worked on a project in Fort Worth by the name of West 7th, and it was a project mm -hmm. I was really proud of, and we were in construction, and we were out preemptively leasing it up to tenants, and they were regional based, but there was a lot of national tenants that we put in there. And I mean, I had my chest out proud as this is gonna just, and I, I was singing it from any any mountaintop that I could mm. of what we were delivering. And uh, I remember a, a, an architect that was writing a blog, and yes, I was reading a blog at this, but I was reading, <laughs> and the, the he was saying that the, the there will be failures but the bones are good in the project. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how dare he say there will be failures <laughs> in my project? Yeah. Curse <laughs> you. Curse you. <laughs> like, how do you know? Well, he was right. We had a lot of failure because we preemptively had gone out there and put some of the wrong tents because we needed to lease the space, right. and we did. 
problem was is that it wasn't the right space, it wasn't the right tenants. And the good news was with the bones of the project is that over time they would change out. It's expensive, but yeah. they would change out. And then the right tenants got in place in the right amounts. That's where I come back. The market always wins. Right. You know, what we weren't doing then was asking the right questions. It, it also didn't help that we opened that project in 2009 when the markets kind of fell on their ear. Right. But right. if we ask the right questions and we listen, we will get back to the right answers and the market will convey what it wants to be there. This has been a fascinating look at commercial real estate, but we can't let you get out of here without talking about one of your favorite things. College football kicks off again this weekend. <laughs> Kirk, I know you're about the biggest uh, University of Texas fan there is. What's your, uh, what are your expectations for the season? How are you feeling? I'm going to go 10 and 2. Wow. 10 and 2. What are the two losses? I'm not telling okay. you. I don't know. <laughs> 10 and 2. I'm just glad that I can say 10. And I hadn't been able to say that over the last 10 years. It's, it's been a but while. It, it's been, it has been a while. Yeah, yeah. tell me that. So in your prediction for A&M? Eight and four. Eight and four. <laughs> Some of my Mizzou friends are dropping the ten and two because of our new quarterback, Ooh. but I don't know. I feel like it's a little optimistic. We, <laughs> this is the like, Mizzou Tiger. Yeah, I mean, so, so. M-I-Z. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Jeff, Tech? Texas Tech? <laughs> Leave me out of it. <laughs> I'm typically out of the sports conversation, too, so I don't blame you. Well, from an Aggie to a Longhorn, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Thank you all so much. Yes, thank you. It was yeah, a pleasure. Tyler, what's on the purview? Anything we should be looking out for here at Market Scale, content-wise, show-wise? Ooh, so you're going to Interdrone next week. That's I am. going to be a big deal. Tell yep. us a little bit about what we can expect content-wise from that. So Interdrone, we're looking at doing some podcasts, some interviews there. We're trying to get on the floor. So last year, we had a small table there. We were doing podcasts. We interviewed a few thought leaders. This time we've got our own booth, so that's really exciting. So we've got a dedicated space. We're going to be doing more kind of man-on-the-street interviews, focused podcasts, talking to keynotes. It's going to be a good time. You also were in Kentucky. We mentioned this last week. Yep. Um, but you got to speak with big-ass fans for a uh, series we're doing called American Made, so that's going to be a lot Made of fun. Made in America. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Made in America. <laughs> You're right. So look look out for that content. It's going to be a good time. Also dropping today is an interview I did earlier this week with Rand Baker, the athletic director at UNT. Awesome. Talking about a big season coming up for the University of North Texas and how they can build on the success of last season. Obviously, when you have success on the field, bring in some more money, build new facilities. Some sponsorships, so a, some facilities. It's a cyclical thing yes. uh, where winning begets mm. more winning, hopefully. So yeah. we're talking just about building a program and how you kind of grow from that grassroots ground level. So Very that's cool. going to be an awesome some interview uh, kind of previewing the beginning of the UNT football season for as sure well. thank you all so much for listening to this special episode of business casual we'll be back next week with our regular episodes on Wednesday and Friday along with market scale mornings on Thursday morning you can catch that on LinkedIn live as well as the market scale website but until next time I've been your host today Tyler Kern we'll talk again soon